Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Today, we have an incredible guest, someone that I admire both on a professional level as well as a personal level. She's here today to talk about custody as well as child support. Lauren Prusen Gaynor worked with me on a special article talking all about the things that you need to know to make good decisions during your divorce. Because we know what the most important asset is of all. Well, it's our kids. And she tells you tales of the trenches from her nearly two decades of working in this field. She's worked at Titler and Titler with hundreds of individuals going through the divorce process, most of them having kids. So she's seen pretty much every scenario you can imagine of individuals working together for the best interests of the kids. And unfortunately, individuals not necessarily able to work together necessarily for the best interests of the kids. Make sure that you stay tuned because at the end, she also talks about what do you need to consider if you want to move away from your ex, whether it's something that might be only 10 miles away, 10 states away, or even 10 countries away, and how child support should not be necessarily a weapon and that it's meant to support the kids and the amount of time that they have with you is one of the factors that goes into that child support calculation. But there are many, many, many more that you need to understand and know about so that you're making the best decision for you as well as for your family. So stay tuned and help me give a warm welcome to our guest today, Lauren Prusen-Ganier. So today we have our special guest and I'm very excited for you to be here, Lauren. Um, my question I'd love to ask is how you found yourself in the field of being a matrimonial attorney, because I can't imagine too many little girls who, you know, my daughter right now, she's, she wants to open a, a cupcake store. So I, I told her she has to go to college, but she, the day she graduates, she is going to be opening what's called, she already named it apple cupcakes. So that's often what you know, we as little girls think about, but um, how did you, you know, get into law? How did you find yourself in, you know, matrimonial law? Um, it was definitely by accident. I did, when I was a little girl, want to be a lawyer. I Love wanted it. to. <laughs> I wanted to be a criminal attorney because my grandfather was a, um, a legal aid attorney, and I used to go down and watch him um, at trial. Um, somehow that did not come to pass. But um, I also was always very interested in psychology, and I was a psychology major in college. And uh, when I was debating as to which to go into, psychology or law, somehow law won out. Yeah. Um, and then I was practicing civil litigation, and I somehow got a call from the firm that I'm with and went to interview. And that's, the, that's really the story yeah. about how I fell into that. And I have to say, it really ties into my background of wanting to be a psychologist. Yeah. So 
Um, while, you know, sometimes day to day, it's, it's a tough field to be in. Yeah. I love the personal um, yeah. aspect of it so much more than corporate civil litigation that I was doing before. So I really like to deal with the people and yeah. their issues. Um, and so, yeah, it's worked out. I've been yeah. in it for almost 20 years now. <laughs> in matrimonial law, I mean, as I'm thinking, it's probably one of the most personal types of law. I mean, maybe estate planning, but even estate planning isn't, you're not always in the the, the trenches in the same way with every client in the way that, that you are. And so I can imagine that your degree helps um, just navigating and helping people who, who you know are going through the many of the worst time of their life um, and being able to help them along. Yes. I mean, oftentimes when they come in, whether they're the person who wants the divorce or the, yeah. the person on the other side of that, they are at the bottom of the barrel. And yeah. um, I like to say that no matter how bad it is, they usually end up much better at the end of the day, because even if it's not what you wanted, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and things yeah. usually work out okay. But I think finding the right attorney in matrimonial is really important to find that emotional fit. Um, it's also important to realize that they're not your therapist, um, even though yeah. it's a very personal relationship. Yeah. But um, you do go through a lot together through the course of a yeah, litigation. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. And especially if there are kids involved and um, something that I'm really excited to talk to you about, we get so many questions from women about custody and both the, you know, what if I want sole custody or, you know, what would I have to prove for that? Um, You know, what about 50-50? You know, what we've seen more recently is more of uh, trying for 50-50. Are you seeing that in more of your cases now than maybe 10 or 20 years ago? I'm definitely, what I'm seeing in uh, the courts and, and just in cases that you settle is a um, a trend towards both parents being equally involved or almost equally involved. And that's a presumption, which yeah. the courts are starting to to come into. And, and I think that's really important because I think that's really what our what this generation is now, you know, yeah. we're, we're really seeing uh, equal parental involvement or close to equal parental involvement. So I think that's that's a good trend to be seeing. Um, yeah. And um, I think it's also important that at least in New York, custody is two di- different um, levels, really. It's, it's decision-making is one part of custody. And if parents can get along, it's important that you have joint decision-making. And then there's also residential custody. So mm-hmm. Um, when clients come in and they say, I want custody, you have to uh, explain to them the difference between decision-making and residential custody. Yeah. And even a parent, um, you know, unless there's an abuse situation, parents will always have access time with their children, and um, mm-hmm. it, you know, barring su- significant circumstances that would prevent that from happening. But yeah. um so when someone, you, you really have to explain to people coming in that sole custody doesn't mean that they won't be with the other parent. Um, mm-hmm. It just means that you will have the primary time and it's really primary residential time with the child. Yeah. So I have so many questions. Um, talking about custody as far as the decision making, um, can you split it up where he makes all the education decisions because he's very concerned about education and she makes decisions about 
religion, and medical. Can you split it up to that fine detail um, and spell that out? Um, You can. And in an agreement, the good thing about drafting an agreement is that you can do whatever works for your particular situation. And you can um, split up zones of decision-making. So there's education, there's extracurricular activities, um, there's camp, there's medical, and then there's religion are Mm -hmm. the main main, um, decision-making areas. And you can split those up. If that's going to work for your family, then you Mm -hmm. can draft an agreement in whatever way you want. The courts can do that also. I think they probably would be less apt to split it up if they see that parents, for some reason, can't make a decision. Um, they might, I mean, they're, they could split it up as well, but Mm -hmm. if you're drafting an agreement, which I always recommend and not having the court decide, (laughs) then you can do whatever works for your situation. And, and Lauren, if you are going to do something where it's joint decision-making on all of those big categories, what happens if there's not an agreement and it's not just about whether or not he plays soccer, you know, maybe it's something as, as big as whether or not he switches schools because he's underperforming and being bullied or whatever it might be. How do you address those stalemates? Um, we try when we draft an agreement with joint decision-making to have a tiebreaker situation okay. about what happens when you're at a stalemate. Um, and, It could be going to a parent coordinator Mm -hmm. and having them be the tiebreaker. Sometimes we do it where if it's, uh, we do zones with that. So if it's education, you go to the principal or the headmaster. If it's medical, you Mm -hmm. go to the doctor. Um, And they can either make the decision or they can be the, um, they can have influence on what the decision is going to be. It depends how, but you really do try to have a tiebreaker provision in there so that yeah, if you get to a stalemate, which can happen, of course, yeah, um, yeah. that there is a provision for how that will unfold, and you always can go back to court um, mm-hmm. because the court always has jurisdiction over mm-hmm. ch- child-related matters. But it sounds like in your agreements, what you're doing is you're trying to, you know, make sure that if there is a stalemate, number one, there's there's a way to resolve it and some resources too, like a parent coordinator, right? Great resource to be able to help with that situation. How old um, does, you know, how old is a child that would still fall under uh, decision making for custody? Is it 18? Is it 21? Is it 22? Is there a certain age or is that dependent as well on what the couple agrees? Um, I mean, you know, at some age, the child is going to, his opinion or her <laughs> opinion is going kind of to matters. start being a factor. So yeah. um, there's no real particular age as to when that's going to happen and what the issue is. I mean, if it's a medical issue, then maybe the child's opinion will matter, but not matter as much mm-hmm. as a doctor's opinion. Um, if it's a school issue, then uh, picking a college, I would assume that the child's opinion is going to matter a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very case dependent and family dependent on yeah. how much they want to listen to the child or value yeah. the child's opinion um, yeah. and the issue as well. What we've been doing for um, our clients who have kids who are 18 and above, we've been having them fill out um, what's called a, a healthcare proxy or healthcare power of attorney where um, at age 18, the parent no longer can make medical decisions in a hospital that the hospital would necessarily um, 
adhere to. And so filling out that form, which you can even download online, allows you as the parent to be in a place over age 18 to be able to make medical decisions if that child is in a coma or mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, particularly if your kids are in college, we've been seeing that that's been useful. That's a good um, idea. We'll add a good that idea. to our agreements. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because a lot of times we forget, you know, we, we, we right. forget that that, you know, actually as of 18 for medical decisions, they can make their own and, you know, you can run into that situation. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about residential. So residential is, you know, physical, where that child's gonna, going to live. Um, how are you seeing couples navigate that 50-50 if one of the parents travels for their job and the other parent either has a job that's much more local with predictable hours or is the, the stay-at-home parent? Um, how, can, how can there still be 50-50? Is that possibility? And what flexibility can you put in the agreement to allow that parent who's traveling, who may unfortunately have to give up their night or give up their weekend because of work, um, not not suffer from not seeing the kids? Um, I've definitely had situations like that. And depending on how uh, agreeable the other side is, you can work in that flexibility that they have to give a certain amount of notice and you know, if the parents live close enough that it's not going, that they can just get off the bus or go to yeah. um, pick them up at school or whatever, and the other parent is willing to be flexible, then that can still work. And um, I've had situations where you give them a certain, they have to give a certain amount of notice and they get a certain amount of times that they can do that either every, you know, per six months or per year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, so that they don't lose so much time with their child. But um, it really, a lot of the times, it depends on um, the other side being willing to be flexible and and valuing both parents uh, being part of raising the children. So if, you know, if the other side sees that as something that's valuable, then they'll want to be flexible as well. Is there a time when um, sole custody makes sense? Or, you know, I guess, what are the cases where you might have seen that um, one person has sole custody? Is it the travel situation or is it something typically different than that? Um, I think it would be something more severe where one parent isn't able to care for the needs of the child Mm -hmm. um, would be more of that type of situation. You know, the travel usually could be, maybe they won't have a 50-50 schedule because they travel so much, but they they would have... reasonable access time. But if, if a parent's not able to adequately care for their child, it's a situation where there would be, um, where there would be sole custody for the other parent. And how, how does a court determine what would be the factors that they look at? So for sole custody, but also for maybe supervised visitation, because I, I think something that, that is really important that you've talked about before is, you know, parents should be able to see their children, you know, barring extreme, extreme reasons. Um, you know, so making sure that that happens, but, um, every once in a while there, there will be cases that you read about where there's supervised visitation, um, you know, maybe for a year, maybe for two, or there's some parameters. Is that typically when there's been maybe drinking issues or violence or that 
that level of severity? Right. It would be a situation where the parent um, being alone with the child is not able to care adequately for them. So Mm -hmm. whether it's that they have their own issue or that they've shown that they uh, don't treat the child in a manner that seems appropriate. Um, So it could be either one of those situations. And, And the goal would always be to have the person be rehabilitated so that you don't have supervised visit because that's not necessarily a natural situation for either the child or the parent. Yeah, no. I mean, I know when I'm, you know, I I did a I did testing with my son uh, for his IEP, which is Individual Education Program. Or <laughs> you know all about this, <laughs> um, and I remember that visit because I felt a little bit like I was you know under the microscope, and he was, I think he was maybe three. He was itty bitty. He's now thirteen. Um, And you could tell that they were watching the way that I was interacting with him. And I wasn't on trial, but it was, it was not natural, you know, just having that third party there, even though they weren't really saying anything, they were just observing. I felt it. He felt it. You know, we all kind of felt a little on edge. Right. And I've been on, I've represented both sides of that situation and, um, and it's not a natural situation. And, you know, if you see, you will find, you know, yeah. you, as you said, we're both parents. I, yeah. There are not always things that I do that would be uh, the best parenting, but yeah. not necessarily rise to the level of any issue. Um, but if you're looking, maybe, you know, yeah, I know. if you get nitpicky, things can. Um, can I know. I, I have to tell you, I have a bad parenting moment that I'm going to like totally put on the table. So on Monday, my son was like, I feel sick. I can't go to school. And I'll be honest. I was like, this is Monday-itis. Come on, Sebastian. You know, sometimes I don't feel well and I go to work and I I tough through. I get to work a half hour later. I get a call from the nurse. (laughs) And they're like, he threw up all over. I was like, yep. I was completely wrong. And, you know, I was like, come on, Seb, you can do it. And I was like, oh, boy, you know. You showed you. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, if you right. look, you can find, right? Yes. Um, so custody has, you tell me, I assume a financial element, too. And um, I've, can, can you talk a little bit about that? And um, the reason why I bring this up is that I've seen in some cases, some shenanigans kind of being played to potentially get more in child support or, or the alternative pay less in child support. Um, can you talk how, how maybe how child support works, number one, and the different types, so child support and add-ons, and, and how custody, the residential, you know, where they're going to be living, how that might impact the type of an amount of child support that you're you're able to claim or you know be eligible for so there is always going to be a primary custodian custodial mm-hmm. parent so um even if it's a 50-50 situation because there and if you're making equal amount of money um or if you each have the same sort of resources then you in New York, you really can't waive child support, but you can have a nominal amount, mm-hmm. like $25 a month or something. Yeah. But um, so in order to determine who's paying who, there still has to be a primary custodial parent. Mm-hmm. And usually that's the parent who, um, even in a 50-50 case, that would be the parent who is making less money or mm-hmm. has less resources. 
So, um, and if it's not a 50-50 case, it's the parent who has more time as the primary residential custodian. And that is the parent who would be the recipient of basic child support. Mm -hmm. And in New York State, basic child support is based on a statute. It's statutory law. And um, it's a percentage of your income. And um, there's a minimum if you're making at least 148,000 the court will go up to 148,000 and depending on how many children you have it will be if it's one child it's 17% mm-hmm. if it's two children it's 25% and it goes up from there mm-hmm. um and that is how it's determined now then there are factors that the court will look at beyond just that 148,000 so if someone's making a million dollars the court yeah. will go up certainly above that 148 number. Yep. And what number they go to really depends on the factors involved in the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it also could depend, it depends on, you know, how much each parent is earning, how much time the children are spending with each parent. And also it depends on um, the add-ons as well. So if one party is paying most of the add-ons and they're significant, such as private school, extracurricular activities, summer camp, and things like that, that could affect how much the basic child support Mm -hmm. is going Mm -hmm. to be. Um, Because you have to weigh all of that in if there's not an endless pot of money. Exactly. um, Which for (laughs) most people, they're not. Right. Yeah. Um, So, and basic child support is meant to cover um, food, shelter, and clothing. Um, And then the things that um, the add-ons cover are extracurricular activities, private school, college, unreimbursed medical, medical health insurance, um, child care costs for a parent who's working outside of the home. And um, I think that might be... Would, would tutoring be under there too? Tutoring would be part of education. education and extracurricular. Right. Mm-hmm. And yep. That makes a lot of sense. And how how is it split um, for add-ons? You know, for a lot of cases I've seen where it's, you know, he makes twice as much as she makes. And so he pays a higher percentage of the add-ons than she does, or he has more, or she has more access to resources. So, you know, she has this very large inheritance that's throwing off a huge amount of income. So she pays more. Is that typically what's looked upon so as what resources, what income that It's based have on your to? income that, and income that you have access to. And um, yeah. it's a pro rata percentage of that. So, yeah. um, you know, if they each make a hundred thousand, then they're each going to pay 50% of the add-ons, yeah. but, yeah. um, and you can always agree to deviate from that. You can put in your agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone, sometimes you're in a situation where someone maybe has a depressed income for a period of time and they should be making more. And so you assume that they will at some point make more. So it's going to be a 50, 50 mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. Um, so that's something that you can agree on. But the courts, if you're in court, they're pretty much bound um, to look at your last filed tax return. Okay. And they can go, they can impute income if they think that it's not yeah. um, actual as to what you're making or if you should be making more. So this is kind of a sticky situation. But, you know, let's say in the past, grandma and grandpa have paid for summer camp for the kids and now that there's a divorce, um, all of a sudden, grandma and grandpa are not going to be paying for summer camp anymore. I mean, have you seen that, number one? And how do you deal with that? I mean, that's, 
and it's kind of like what almost on which side of the fence are you on? Are you on the side where grandma and grandpa are your parents and there's been a conversation maybe about it or, you know, how is that treated? Because that's a sticky situation. That is a sticky situation and it does come up and grandma and grandpa cannot be bound by your agreement to pay for that. So um, grandpa and grandpa might, I mean, if you're in agreement with your spouse or ex-spouse, you might say, okay, well, we know that they will continue to do that. And so we'll leave that aside. But typically you're not in agreement, which is why you're at that place. Yeah. And um, so, you know, if it's 50-50 and your spouse is getting money from the parents, well, then that's who's paying her side or his side. Yeah. And you're just obligated to pay the rest. Yeah, Um, it's kind of is what it is. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) For, yeah, yeah, I mean, because if you've depended on that and relied on that and going forward, that, that. be sticky, but that is kind of what happens. So we've talked a little bit about add-ons. When it comes to child support and, you know, you're using the formula, um, how how much of the dollar amount paid in child support is influenced by how much time they spend with that parent? Um, Because we've we've seen, um, we had a client who they ended up with 50-50 custody and what ended up happening through their case the, as this really lived out is that she ended up with 75% and he spent about 25% of the time with the kids because he took a new job and that job oh. required international travel regularly. And she found herself frustrated because the 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 child support was calculated for paying expenses for 50% of the time when she had them in her house and the eating out and the seamless ordering on right. the web for food. Um, and here she is now with 75% of the time. Um, have you seen that? And I mean, do people play the game where they'll say, I want half and half 50% custody because they they are trying to maybe pay less in child support? Um, I've seen people think that that is what's going to happen, um, that if they can try to get 50-50 custody, that they would be able to pay less in child support. Um, I mean, child support's meant to cover shelter, clothing, and then food. So the shelter is static. static. It's not going. Right. It doesn't matter (laughs) if they're there that week or not. It's not going to cover 100% of it, but a portion of it. So, you know, the 50-50 custody shouldn't so much matter for the shelter and the clothing, really, because that should be a fixed amount. So it's the food that's going to increase it. And that is a significant increase, and that could be a problem. And, um, you know, depending on how much that's affecting your budget or the time with the kids. I mean, you can go back to court and say that there's been a significant change in circumstances where they're no longer spending, you know, 50% of the time at the spouse's house. But um, it's tough. That's a tough situation to be in, right? Yes, and it's expensive to go back to court. Yeah. Um, And it's... I, I think people don't always realize that the court can't solve all of your problems and neither can an agreement. I mean, you can't yeah. anticipate everything um, and you try to, but you just can't. And some yeah. of it, um, 
you know, some of it's just going to happen. I mean, just like if you were married together, you can't anticipate a loss of a job or a lower income yeah. and that you have to cut back in certain ways. Yeah. Um, so, you and know, you just have to life kinda, happens. Life and, happens and you have to kind of. Right. Yeah. I'm, so for you, when you think about like the, you know, custody and, and child support and add-ons, are there any mistakes you've seen people make or kind of like words to the wise of, you know, make, you know, one of the things I would say, maybe even make sure you know what, what the add-ons really are for the kids, because, you know, you're, you, and, and maybe also to think about how their expenses might change as they become older. Right. I, I think that actually it's better not to be so specific, but to be more general, mm-hmm. um, because, Kids change, situations yeah. change, and you can't anticipate everything. So yeah. um, being too specific might really box you into a hole that someone might not be able to pay for things or mm-hmm. um, or you didn't anticipate that, and so no one's going to pick that up. Um, so I think being a little bit more general might be more helpful in that. Yeah. And also, you know, if your child is in public school and you see that the you know, maybe the upper grades aren't going to work as well for public school. It's good to anticipate private school. It's good to anticipate boarding school mm-hmm. and what that is going to do um, to the pay or spouse. Because, you know, in the same situation that you were yeah. saying where they're spending more time with you, if someone's going to boarding school or college, now they're spending less time with you. That's true. But some of your fixed expenses might be the same yeah. um, and then others will change. But um yeah, I, I think being general is is good, and try yeah. to uh, think a little bit in the future, but not yeah. really box yourself into a hole. That's really good advice because if you list out the things and you forget, you know, X and Y, and you've been specific about every single other piece, then right. well, that's not in the agreement. Right. I didn't even think about that. Good to know. All right, so the next one is is I think one of the hardest things to predict um, whether or not you'll get permission to move away from your ex with the children. That's a big one. That's a big one. And I, I almost feel like sometimes maybe it's whether or not the judge really has, is having a great day. I don't know if it's that, I don't think it's that, um, that much of a, uh, of a, a dice roll, but my understanding is for you to show that that's the burden of proof is on you to prove why it's in the best interest of the children to move away from their other parent and that it's not an easy necessarily burden of proof. You said that so well, Stacey, you're now well, a lawyer. Because I, well, I've been, <laughs> I've been reading your articles. <laughs> so, um, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, and, and I know that this is a, this is a, a, a area where there's a, a lot of contention. There is, and with good reason, because if you're moving away and it doesn't necessarily have to be out of state, it could just be, you know, further away to a different school district. Um, You know, the other parent will not be able to pick up and move in the same way. And that does affect the relationship that a parent has day to day. I mean, um, you know, even if you don't see your child every day, just being able to be in the same community and know the same people and have the child be able to have access after school equally to, to both homes is important. And so yeah. if you move just even a little bit away, that, that really can change that dynamic. And um, it's important for the parent wanting to move to show how they will support that relationship yeah. and make sure that it doesn't 
affect them. I mean, it will obviously affect them, but not have such a negative impact on mm-hmm. the um, the parent who's not moving. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's a tough burden and it should be a tough burden. Yeah, it makes sense. Especially if you've agreed to live close by and raise your children together, that, that really yeah. changes the dynamic. Um, our kids go to an international school, so British International, which I um, had mentioned. And about two-thirds of the families are from 50-some-odd countries around the world. I have to say it's the most wonderful experience for my kids. It's phenomenal. Um, but these are typically families that are coming here to the U.S., working for the U.N., or you know, some type of uh, situation where they're here three or maybe four years. And let's say you have um, someone and they, they move here and they the husband is supposed to be here three more years based on the term of the contract and they're getting a divorce and she wants to go back home and home let's say is uh france that's um that's a tough one that's a tough one right yeah so that's a different situation than the one that you were just talking about because you don't have in those situations i don't think you have an expectation to stay in this location. Yeah. Um, and so no, exactly. So they're here temporary and they know, right. and they made an agreement that we're going to go there for three years right. or four years. Yeah. So exactly. I think that that is a different situation. And I think the court would view that differently as well, because of you've set up this life together where you are always going to be moving around and the court has to view that yeah. when they're thinking of a best interest analysis. Yeah. And I would say the other thing that I've, that could be a big wrinkle is that often only one of the parents are working here and the other one is here based on that working parent's visa. And if they get a divorce, all of a sudden that non-working parent loses their status. Right. They can't necessarily be here. Yes. Which they're all of a sudden, Uh, you kind of have to stay married if you're going to stay here. (laughs) to right, well, somebody who you don't like. Right. You that know? would play into the court's decision as to you whether might. you can go back yeah, as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. If no one has status to be here or to be able to work yeah. here, um, that, that would definitely play into the court's decision. But, yeah. um, and I've had situations like that as well. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we live, New York in particular, is such an international community. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's such an amazing place to live. But yeah, you have these, you know, very odd situations. And I know my husband, he got his green card here from marrying me. And um, he was he was brought over by Goldman Sachs. And so he could have gotten it through the company, but we decided to get it through um, our marriage because it was going to be a little bit, little bit quicker. But it was not quick. I mean, I will tell you, Lauren, it took, I think it was maybe a year and a half, two oh, wow. years. And then the interview... They asked, you know, we had to show pictures of us on vacation. It was kind of like, I don't remember that movie where they they pretended that they were getting, you know. Right. I know I, what you're talking I, I, about. I don't remember, yes. but like, yeah. you know, they made up all these, you know, Photoshop right. things. But they were asking questions. They asked about his toothbrush. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, wow. And I'm thinking how, you know, how do couples go through this process who aren't living together anymore? I mean, how, to, to get that green card for her to or him to be able to stay with right. the kids here long term. Um, so yeah, it just, it I, gives me flashbacks of that movie. Um, <laughs> yes, I think it was right. called Green Card. I oh, think right. It was, I yeah, think you're Green right, Card. Right. But, um, so I know we're wrapping up, um, and coming to the end. You know, anything else that 
you would want to share to women who are kind of thinking about the divorce process? And I think what we've seen is that what most scares women is the the fear of losing their children, of, of losing time with their children. And so this becomes just, I mean, this piece in particular, custody, whether it's decision-making or, you know, residential where they're living, um, is the most important piece to them. And it's something that keeps them up at night. And do you see that as well? I definitely see yeah. that. And um, and I can relate to that. I mean, I'm happily married, but I, I could understand, especially when my children were young, that, yeah. oh my God, I couldn't imagine spending a minute apart from them. Um, now they're older and I can't imagine spending many minutes apart from them. But um, I think what's really important, and I think when divorce works best and best for the children is when parents can at least get along for the kids' sake, even if you despise each other. They sense the tension. And I hate to hear stories of you involving your kids with bad-mouthing one spouse. And even if you think they don't know or they don't hear or they don't understand, they do. They get it. And um, I think you have to keep sight of the fact that what's best for the kids is having both of you get along and being able to be flexible and work things out because then you're not putting the kids in the middle and then they feel comfortable at both homes. And you really want your kids to be happy at the end of the day. And one day they're going to wake up and, you know, see what went on and not, not like that. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a saying that, um, I don't know who told it to me, but, it's so true. And it's, you're only as happy as your least happy yes, child. Yes, and I so I go by that. Also, that. Right. If my kids are right. happy, then I am right. happy. So. And I think you need to remove your uh, disagreements with your spouse yeah. um, and think about your kids. Yeah. Lauren, I can't thank you enough oh, for being here. This, this was fun. such, <laughs> such a delight. And you took a topic that is, is I think, a little, a little, a little frightening, a little overwhelming, to be honest. I know some people think numbers are overwhelming, but for me, in my opinion, this whole conversation is a little overwhelming also because it feels very high stakes because it's about, it's about your kids. Right. Um, and you really brought it to a, a really understandable kind of like tactical, this is the thing, these are the things to think about, and this is what you need to know. And so I can't thank you enough for doing that. Well, thank I really you, appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank Great. you. And how do individuals reach out to you? Um, ah. Maybe if you want to share the the website of the firm and your email. Um, well, also, we can put that in show notes, too. Okay. Also, but if you want to um, tell our listeners, that'd well, be great. It's Titler and Titler LLP. And I believe that's probably Titler and Titler LLP.com, maybe, or Titler and Titler.com. And um, I can be reached at LPGainer at Titler.com. Okay, great. So we'll put that in the show notes as well as the um, website and a link to your bio. And that way people can email you if they want to set up a consultation and talk all about their kids. (laughs) Thanks. That's great. I love to talk about kids. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. And that's it for Financially Ever After. 
In just a few minutes, we're going to go over the main important takeaways from our conversation today with Lauren. But before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about an important resource that can help you stay on top of your finances and really understand if you're on track to reach your goals. It's our second opinion program, and essentially, we'll look at how you're invested, every single holding, and more importantly, how they're working together or not necessarily working together. It's an in-depth x-ray analysis of your entire portfolio and helps you know if you're on track and if you're doing the right things to bridge the gap between where you are now and where you ultimately want to be with your finances. So please reach out to us for that. You can email me, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at FrancisFinancial.com, or you can visit the website, www.FrancisFinancial.com. Today, I know that I learned a lot, particularly about custody issues, as well as the impact of where kids are staying on child support and some other decisions that you have. What my biggest takeaway was that while this was a topic, to be honest, that intimidated me, it intimidated me because it's about what I care most about in the world, and that is my children. Sebastian and Samantha are my absolute, absolute life. And the prospect of ever losing them and having them for less time, I mean, is really one of the most frightening things in the world. And I know that you feel the same way. And what Lauren was able to do today was to really shed light, give us information so that you're empowered and hopefully less nervous, and more informed about your choices, about your options, and what you can do that's going to make your family life the best possible ever. I can't thank you enough for tuning in every other week to Financially Ever After. This is my passion, and I love learning, but even more importantly, I hope that you're learning because this is not easy, and divorce and overwhelm, I feel like are the same words. And if there's anything that we can do to support you through this process, please do reach out. This is why I live my life. And this is what we're here for. Thank you again for tuning in to Financially Ever After.